today's reading is going to be from Mark 4, verses 21 through 25. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken from them. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. You guys doing all right today? It's uh, cooled off just a little bit. It's a little bit better than it was yesterday. Let's pray before we dive in. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. God, we thank you for your mercy and your kindness. God, we ask for you to reveal yourself to us more and more today. God, we want to know you. We want to seek you. We want to understand your truth. We want to discover it. I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart, that these ears that we have wouldn't just be accessories for the side of our head, but they would be things by which we hear your word, hear your truth, and that hearing would lead to understanding and doing. And we praise you, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So in life, it can sometimes feel like we're wandering aimlessly. Anyone ever feel like that before? Okay, two of you, the rest of you are lying can feel like we're wandering aimlessly, like we're kind of like ships lost at sea. Like there's storms and things are raging around us and we're just there. We're sitting like a, like a duck in water and we don't know what's going on. But there's a journey that was designed for us, a journey that was set out for us. Somehow we've veered off course. And I think sometimes we veer off course because the storms rage out there, because things get difficult in life. And I think sometimes we veer off course because we're dead set on going a different direction. We set our eyes to one thing, and that's just the way that we end up going. And when we're in this place, whether it's because of the storms of life that take us off course, or whether it's by our own decisions that we go off course, either way, we need something. We need someone to help us get back on course. We need someone to step in and show us the way. We need a lighthouse to show us the way to get back onto course and safely to our destination. And thankfully for us, Jesus is that lighthouse. He is the hope that we have in the midst of our aimless wandering, in the midst of just sitting there with everything else going on around us. He shows us the way. He is the light for our path, and he invites us to follow his guidance, to follow him so that we can find that journey that we're designed for once again. He's the bright, shining light, the one that's illuminating our path. But guess what? We still have to follow him. It's not enough just to see the light. We have to respond to the light. We have to recognize that there's a lighthouse on the shore, And if we don't pay attention to what the lighthouse is showing us, then we're going to crash right into that shore. Ultimately, what we're looking at today, ultimately what we're diving into in Scripture is this idea. It's this idea of both seeing Jesus and responding 
to him. So as we dive into our scripture today, we're looking at Mark 4, verses 21 through 25, and we're picking up right where we left off last week. And we're going to break this down into two acts, kind of like a play. We're going to have Act 1 and Act 2, and we're going to start with Act 1 because that's how plays work. You start in the beginning, and it has like this linear format to it. So Act 1 is discovering the truth of Jesus, and we're going to be looking at those first three verses. So I want to read them to us again. And can I get the mic down just a tad? He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. And so this first part of this parable, and again, it's a, it's a parable designed to help us respond to what Jesus is revealing. This first part is about the lamp that is the gospel. It's the the light of the world. It's Jesus himself. In this story, we have to read it in the context of the story of last week. It's a continuation designed to help us respond, designed to help us to see that maybe we've gone off path. Maybe we've gone in a different direction, and there's something to be discovered. There's something to respond to. And ultimately, in these first three verses, what Jesus is doing is he's describing the ministry that he has in the world. He's speaking of what God is doing. Because in the midst of Jesus' ministry, we're still kind of in the early part of that in Mark 4, there are things that are happening. There's good things that are happening. There are miracles, and there's people following Jesus, and they're, they're trying to figure out who he is, what he's about, and ultimately what he's come to do. The disciples who were following him, the world around him, couldn't fully grasp it. They were like, maybe he's this, or maybe he's that. Maybe he's come to do this. Maybe he's a prophet. Maybe, just maybe, he could be the Messiah. And they're going on and on about this. They're trying to figure it out. But here Jesus gives them a promise. He says, hey, I know that you guys don't understand it right now. I know that it seems hidden, kind of like a lamp that's had this cover put over it, this lamp that's been put under a bed, but lamps aren't meant to be hidden away. They're meant to to go out into the open. Everything about Jesus will eventually come to light. Everything about his ministry will eventually make sense, and they just have to hold on. They just have to bear with him in the meantime. And what Jesus does is he uses that lamp as an example. He says, no one would be so foolish as to light a lamp. Well, maybe a couple people would, but no one, most people wouldn't be so foolish as to light a lamp and then hide it under the bed because that's not the purpose of a lamp and you're probably going to set your house on fire because there's like an open flame in Jesus' day, right? He says, no one's going to do that. Jesus, in this message, in what he's telling his disciples here, there's some good things for us. Because in that, he's telling us that he didn't come to turn the world upside down for just a select few. Lights were meant to illuminate everything. And that's the same for Jesus' ministry. It's not just for a select few people. It's for the entire world. He was the light of all mankind. That's how John's gospel puts it in the very beginning. The light that was the light of all mankind had come into the world. And darkness, though it tries to extinguish him, though it tries to push him away, it is never able to overcome. I love this one scholar, how he put it this week as I'm reading and preparing. He says this, if even we humans, and we're pretty foolish, right? He says, if even we humans would not act so foolishly with with a lamp which we have lit, how much less so would God? 
And I love that because it's saying that if we wouldn't take this light and light it up and then hide it away, how much less so would God do something like that with the most important thing, the truth of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, the invitation to new life? God wouldn't do something like that because even humans wouldn't be so foolish as to light a lamp and hide it away. The gospel is the lamp that lights the way for the entire world. It's the bright, shining lamp. It is Jesus himself showing us truth, showing us the way, showing us the life that is available to us. And it will be made known. Right now, we see in part, we know in part, but eventually, we'll see fully. Eventually, we will see face to face. It will no longer be as if we're looking through a glass dimly. I love verse 22 because Jesus promises. He promises. This is something that we can count on. We can trust him at that. He says that what is hidden will be brought out into the open. This is good news for us. And what happens most clearly in this, this promise of Jesus, it most clearly gets fulfilled on the cross. That Jesus is going through his ministry, and then in a moment, he's lifted up. The purposes of God revealed. That's what John 12, 32 says. Jesus is speaking of his crucifixion, speaking of what is about to happen. Jesus says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus' death and his resurrection are ultimately the fulfillment of this. It's a fulfillment of Jesus' purposes being made known, about the purposes of God being made known. They're no longer hidden. What's been hidden for eternity is now wide in the open. Jesus has taken our place on the cross. That which was perfect died for the imperfect, the just for the unjust, the good for the bad. He has taken our place, and it's pure grace. The things of God are pure grace. It's God making a way for our rescue. God making a way where there was previously no way. He stepped into our place. He was lifted up. He revealed what he was doing throughout all of history. In those few moments, everything becomes clear. The meta-narrative of the world. Everything in all the cosmos begins to make sense. There's a beginning, there's an end, and right in the midst of it is Jesus on the cross. The purposes of God being made known, being manifest for us. Jesus is not just the path. He is the one that has made the path. He's not just the path, but he's the one that has revealed the path. He hasn't just revealed the path, but he's lit the path as well. He's shown us all of this by his life, his death, and his resurrection. He shows us life that's truly life. Shows us the way. And he invites us down the path. Invites us to follow him. In verse 23, Jesus says, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And this is an interesting statement because the majority of us have ears. And Jesus is speaking to an audience and they're like, yeah, we have ears, Jesus. Like, what, what are you talking about? You didn't have to take my ear off the ground and put it back on my head. You already know that I have an ear. 
Jesus isn't saying this in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense. He's saying, I know you have ears, now listen to the message. Listen to the invitation and respond to what I have. You know, God's truth, it isn't hidden in a galaxy far, far away. I had to use it. We don't need a space shuttle to go and search for it. We don't even need the rover to rove around and try and discover God's truth. He's made it manifest to us. He's revealed it to us. And he's done this both in general revelation and special revelation. If we were to look at Romans 1, and I encourage you to spend some time in there this week. I'm not going to read all of it for you, but Romans 1 gives us this concept of general revelation. It's this idea that all the earth, all the cosmos, all the galaxies, all the stars, all the planets, everything in creation declares the glory of God. We can look around and there are all of these things that are good. That's what God says in Genesis as he's creating, and it was very good. And the evidence of that is still all around us. It's the reason that we can smoke some ribs and eat them. That's what I did yesterday. It's the reason that we can enjoy great drinks. It's the reason that we can enjoy friendship and relationship. It's the reason that we can enjoy intimacy. All of these are good gifts from God, and they actually point to his goodness. They point to his grace. They point us to a good creator. It doesn't happen randomly because that wouldn't explain all the beauty in the world. It wouldn't explain all the grace in the world. It wouldn't explain all of that. And so Romans 1 tells us that if we just look around, if we just open our eyes, if we just stare at the night sky, it will declare to us the glory of God. But thankfully, we don't just have general revelation. We don't just have what is created by God. We have God himself. We have special revelation in the way of Jesus. This is God himself coming near to us, revealing the things of God to us more plainly, more clearly. He shows us the way, the truth, and the life. He shows us the path. He reveals to us the way in which we're supposed to walk. He helps us to go from our wandering down the path that he's created us for. But all the time we're looking elsewhere, all the time we're searching here or there and everywhere else, all the time we're looking and we're no longer wondering after God. St. Athanasius explains this idea in Jesus' incarnation in this wonderful way. And I think I've shared it with us many times before, but it's such a wonderful quote about what Jesus has done that I want to read it again. This St. Athanasius in the fourth century, a few hundred years after Jesus, he talks about the incarnation of Jesus, why Jesus came and did what he did. He writes this, he says, Men had turned from the contemplation of God above. And we're looking for him in the opposite direction, down among created things and things of sense. So he took to himself a body and moved as man among men, so that those who were seeking God in sensible things might come to the Father through the works which he, the Word of God, did in the body. I love this because it shows us the grace and the mercy of God. God created this universe so that we would seek him out, so that we would wonder after him. 
But as our human hearts are prone to sin, we search not for the greatness and the vastness and the glory of God, the uncreated one. Instead, we search for him in other things, in the created things, in the sensible things. And God, knowing this, seeing our proclivity towards sin, he says, I know exactly what to do. He doesn't leave us on our own, but instead he comes near to us. He says, if they're going to look for me among the created things, then I myself will take on a created body. I myself will draw near to them. I myself will come as one of them. And I will show them the way in which I intended them to live. He doesn't just do that, but he dies in our place, lives the life, and then dies in our place. He's made the truth manifest in Jesus. The central point of the entire cosmos dwelling with us, dwelling among us. The epicenter of human history is Jesus, dwelling with us, living the life that we couldn't live, dying the death that we deserve so that we could receive the grace of God. It's that truth that was hidden becoming revealed. God has come near to us. He's shown us his goodness and his grace and his mercy and his love. And as Revelation 3.20 shows, Jesus is still seeking us. He still stands at the door knocking. Knocking. The door of our heart saying, let me in. He invites us to respond, but we have to listen, right? We have to tune our ears to him. But too often, we can't hear the knock. Too often, there's so much other noise. Like, just, I want you to think about this for a moment. Like, just imagine Sam's just like, okay, I'm done sitting here. I'm ready to come up, and it's time to play again. And he starts playing, and then Sarah's like, you know, I want in on the action too. And she just starts, like, banging on the keyboard. And then you guys are like, I'm done listening as well. I'm just going to start talking. It would be chaos in here, right? And you guys wouldn't hear a word that I'm saying. And that's kind of what our lives look like. There's so much other noise, so much things going on, all of these directions that we're being pulled in, that even though God is there and he's knocking, we can't hear him because there's too much else going on. He invites us to slow down, to listen for the knock. We have ears. We have to use them. We have to listen to him. We have to say shush to all the other things. So that we can hear the invitation of God. Hear the invitation of Jesus and respond to him. Let's move to act two, which is responding to and implementing the truth of Jesus. And I want us to to go to those last two verses in our passage today. Verse 24 and 25. Jesus says, Consider carefully what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. So Jesus is transitioning here to our response, to how we should respond to him. And he tells us to consider carefully what you hear. 
He doesn't just say, okay, let it go in one ear, out the other, and then leave unchanged. No, he says, consider carefully. And what that, that word translated as considered carefully in the Greek really means is to discover so as to understand. It's to consider something, to dwell on something. We have the rover up here. The rover is used to go out and do experiments, to do some discovery. But then we have to understand that. We have to look at the data. We have to ponder the data. We have to figure out what the data means. How are we to react in response to that? And it's the same with God. We should consider carefully what we hear. Consider carefully his ways. Discover so that we can understand. It means that we have to discover him for ourselves. To seek him for ourselves, not relying on what other people say, not relying on what other people have learned about God, but seek him out for ourselves. Spend time with him ourselves and figure out what to do in light of that. As we discover God, we have to figure out how he's calling us to respond. Again, it's not in one ear, out the other. We have to seek him, we have to find him, and we have to figure out how to respond. But part of the good news that we've already talked about this morning is that God is not far off. We don't have to to blast off on the space shuttle and go out searching for him. He's near, near to our hearts. He's given us his word, his, his truth, the way that we can discover him, discover his character and his goodness and his grace. He's not way out there where we have to go searching for him. He's right there, nearer than a brother, nearer than our closest friend. He's right there showing us, knocking on the door of our hearts. In Matthew 7, during Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says this principle that's so helpful for us, so helpful for us to understand what Jesus is saying here. He says this in Matthew 7, 7 through 8. He says, ask and you won't receive it. Seek, and you won't find. Knock, and the door will be slammed in your face. Okay, let me try that again. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. That's what the scripture says, but oftentimes we act like the first reading, the fake reading. Well, God doesn't want to to be bothered by me. He has other things to worry about. We expect him to slam the door in our face saying, you're not good enough. You've sinned. You're not clean. We expect him to reject our request before we ever come to him. But that's not who our God is. He says, ask and you will find. He asks and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. And this isn't about name it and claim it. You can ask whatever you want and you get the Lamborghini when you ask for it. It's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, if you set your mind to spiritual things, if you ask for spiritual things, you will find them. You will receive them. I haven't hidden myself from you. I'm not far off over there. I'm right here. And just ask, just seek, just knock, and you will discover. It's about the posture of our hearts, tuning our hearts to receive his grace. 
If we search for him, we will find him. That's the message of Scripture. If we seek him, we will discover him. God is not elusive. He's not like, okay, come over here, follow me. Oh, nope, going over here. That's not who our God is. Our God is the same yesterday, today. There you go. He's always the same. Always leading us, always guiding us. He desires for us to seek after him. He desires to be found. He desires to show us the way. But we have to do something. We have to seek. We have to yearn for him. We have to discover him. And ultimately, we have to respond. Jesus, in verse 24, he he says another interesting saying. He says, With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. And as I was reading this, I, I was thinking about measuring cups because it's, you know, talking about the measure you use. And think about you having like this giant jar of sugar, and it's good sugar, and you're going to be really happy and really hyper as you get into it. And you open your, your drawer with all of your measuring cups, and they're probably mixed match, just like mine are. And you look down there, and you see all the ones that are available for you. You have like the eighth of a teaspoon, and then you have like the, the giant four-cup one that you can use. And a lot of times we grab that eighth of a teaspoon and we're seeking after God and we go into the big thing of sugar that is representing God, even though God isn't just sugar. You got, it's an analogy, you guys get it. And so we have the eighth of a teaspoon and we dip in there and we're like, oh, this is all God is. But then someone else, they take that big four cup and they go in there and they're like, wow, look at how big God is. Look at the sweetness of God. Look at the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. That's what Jesus is ultimately telling us here. He says, what measure you use is what you're going to find. Now, God's grace is always there. It's always like this heaping scoop. He says, and even more so than what you use, you'll find. It's always grace. It's always a heaping scoop. But ultimately, whichever one we pick up, Whichever one we seek with, that's what we're going to find. If we discover, if we look for just a little of God, we're going to discover just a little. If we look for a lot of God, then we're going to discover a lot of God. God has made himself known to us. There's immense depth to God's goodness and his grace and his mercy and his character that we can discover. That he's made known to us. We just have to look. We just have to seek. And I love part of this is that the beauty is if we'll do this over time, day by day, month by month, year by year, what happens is it compounds. We discover a little bit more about God. We learn more of his truth. We learn more of his grace. We learn more of his mercy and his love. And over time, it has this compounding effect. It moves within us and it builds us up into a different way. Verse 25, if we look at it, it's like this principle of compounding interest. Do you guys understand compounding interest, I hope? Okay, so if you have money and you put it in a bank that gives you 4% interest, okay, you have $1, you put it in there and it makes 4% per year. At the end of a year, you'll have a dollar and four cents. And then the next year, 
It's not just the dollar that earns interest, it's a dollar and four cents. And so the next year it's more and it compounds and it compounds and it compounds and eventually you wind up with a lot of money. That's not the point of the sermon. It's just the principle that I want us to understand a little bit because God's way is the same way. That as we invest in him, as we seek him, we find a little bit and then the next year it grows on top of that and it grows on top of that and it grows on top of that. Oftentimes we don't like that principle because we just want the end result, right? Like I just want to discover all of God right now. Me too but it hasn't happened yet. But the more I seek him, the more I find. The more I ask for him to reveal himself to me, the more he does so. I think about my relationship with Brooke, and I know a lot more about Brooke now 10 years into our relationship than I did on day one. But just having the information isn't enough, right? I can't just know a lot about Brooke. I have to act upon it. And it's the same for us with our relationship with God. The more we spend time with him, the more we learn about him, the more we experience him, and the better we are able to respond to him then with all that we've learned. One of the great things about God is that he's more gracious than we are. I think oftentimes we can hear a message like this, and like, that's great, but I've gone the wrong way. And I've been over here for so long that that may be true for other people that they can seek God and they can find him, but not for me because I've messed up my life. But God doesn't work that way. God is more gracious than we are, more loving than we are, more merciful than we are. Where he says, no matter what your life has looked like, no matter how long you've been going the opposite direction, No matter how many times you've tried to go the right direction and ended up the wrong direction, there's still grace. There's still mercy. There's still love. You can still seek him, friends. You can still find him. You haven't made too much a mess of your life. The only qualification to seeking God is that your life be messed up. And praise God, we all qualify. We've all messed up. We've all gone astray. We've all sinned. And God says, come to me anyway. It was the whole point of Jesus coming and living the life that we couldn't live, dying the death that we deserve. He knew that we couldn't do it on our own. And so he came. He made a way. And he says, come to me. Whether we are close to God right now or whether we are far away whether we're on the high of the mountaintop or whether we're in the low of the valley, God's mercy is new every day. Every day. His love remains. He continues to call us to him. He's knocking. Always. Always knocking. Saying, open the door. Have a seat at the table. Learn my ways. Learn about my love and my grace. Learn about the kindness I have towards you. Learn about my goodness. Learn my character and nature and be transformed. That's how good our God is. It's how he responds to us. It's how he seeks after us. He's he's there knocking. 
And he says, open the door and let me in. So we've talked about Act 1, which is discovering the truth of Jesus. We've talked about Act 2, which is responding to the truth of Jesus. And now what I want to do is I just want to give us some really practical steps. Because a lot of times we can hear this and we're like, okay, I want to do that, but how do I do that? What is my next step? And I'm going to speak vaguely. I'm going to give us something here this morning that that's ultimately will help us, hopefully. It will help us take whatever that next step is. The first step for us, no matter if you've been a Christian one day or 60 years, whether you are closer than God, with God than you ever have been before in your life, or whether, man, things don't really look right. The first step for every single one of us in the room is to receive his grace anew. Receive his love. Receive his mercy. Receive his forgiveness. Rest in knowing the love of God. This means that we come to him. It means that we look to the cross and we say, Jesus, I need you. Because that's true whether our life looks good or our life looks bad. We all need Jesus. Where everything's going great or everything's going not so great, we need Jesus. And so our first step is to come to him. Say, Jesus, I need you. And how he responds to us is says, he says, welcome home. Your sins are forgiven. My love for you is greater than your sin. Greater than all the wrong things that you have done. You are loved. You can have new life, friends. His grace is there. You can come to Jesus no matter where you are, no matter what your life looks like. You can have a relationship with God. You can dwell with him. That's step one. It's a step for all of us. And step two is to walk with God daily. Walk with God. And I want to give us a simple prayer. Maybe this is something that we can, we can start with. It's just a simple couple of line prayer. It says this, God, I want to know you more. I want to experience your love. Show me your ways. The simple prayer that we can pray every day. We don't have the answers on our own. We don't know how to live life that is truly life on our own. But we can seek God we can search after him and we can pray to him, asking him to help us. That's the beauty of who he is. He doesn't just show us the truth. He helps us to uncover it, helps us to implement it in our lives. And so we can pray wholeheartedly, God, I want to know you more. And sometimes maybe that prayer is, God, I want to want to know you more. That's okay too. It's okay to pray those honest prayers. I want to experience your love. Show me your ways. Show me your character, your kindness, your goodness. And then there's another step to take. Pray the prayer and then open the Bible. And don't do one of these things where you just like open it up and put your finger down. Because like, oftentimes that's not going to work great. Because there are some verses in there if you do that saying, God, show me your ways, and then you put your hand down, it's not going to go well for you. Start in the Gospels. Read through the words and the work and the life of Jesus. 
After that, go to the book of Romans. See about the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. Once you've gone there, read through the book of Acts and see what the church looked like in the early days. Read through Paul's epistles. Read through the New Testament and then get the background, the, the, the beginning nature from the Old Testament. Have a plan. Go through the Word. And even if it's just five minutes a day, that's okay. As your pastor, I'm telling you that's okay. Now don't stay there for your whole life. But start there. Five minutes a day is a chapter a day. If you can do 15 to 20 minutes a day, guess what? In a year, you've read through the Bible. You can do more, you get through it quickly. Or you can read it again and again. And the more you seek, the more you find. The more you ask, the more you receive. The more you knock, the more the door is opened to you. Receive his grace, walk with it, seek after him, ask him to illuminate your heart to show you his ways, open up the word, and then I have another prayer for you. Because again, it's not just about hearing, it's about doing as well. Pray this prayer in the spirit of John the Baptist, help me to decrease, and at the same time, may you increase in my life. May your ways come alive in me and spill over into every area of my life. These are good prayers for us to pray because it's asking for God to reveal the truth to us. And as we open up the word, we're asking for him to make those things come alive in us. For us to decrease, for him to increase so that it will spill over into every area of our lives. And the last thing, it's on us a little bit too. We have to implement the things in which we learn. We have to share God with others. You know, James, the half-brother of Jesus, tells us to not just merely listen to the word, but be doers of the word. Because if we just listen, and that's the first part of the parable, but never implement, then it's of no use. We have to seek after God. We have to discover him. We have to allow him to do something in our hearts. And then we have to live it out. As we listen and discover, to God, discover God, we have to respond. We have to move after him. We should seek to become like Jesus. Sharing the gospel, living the gospel out in word and deed. Allowing it to spill over into every area of our life how we worship, how we work, how we interact with one another, how we store up wealth or don't store up wealth, how we look at those who are underprivileged and the least of these, how we interact in a politically charged world. We should look to be like Jesus in all of these things. It's what it looks like to implement the truth that we find, the truth that we discover about God into all areas of our life. Above all, we should be people who look to the light of Jesus. Look to what he's revealed for us. The gospel, the good news, the way that he has for us. And we should not look to have it hidden in this little compartment in our lives. Like, I got a little bit of Jesus way down here. Instead, we should be seeking to have that light 
That goodness well up inside of us, shine bright inside of us to illuminate all the darkness within us, to shine light there, to replace the darkness with light so that others may also see the light that's in us, not because we're good, but because Jesus is good, and that he's done a great work inside of us. Amen? Let's stand and pray together. Father, we thank you that you are not far off, that you are near. And we thank you that all the earth, all the universe declares your glory. We thank you for sending your Son, for coming to the world. seeking after us even though we go astray even though we're prone to wonder even though time and time again we reject you you still knock at the door of our hearts and we thank you for that God and help us this morning to know that your love is there your mercy is there. Your grace is there for every single one of us in the room. Help us to know that we haven't outsend your grace. That we haven't run too far in the opposite direction. Help us to know that you're still there with arms open wide. And help us all to receive your grace this morning. Help us to recognize the truth of Jesus and help us to respond accordingly not to just hear your word but to be doers of your word by your grace and we submit ourselves to you this morning it's in Christ's name that we pray amen